today is in First Thessalonians um, 4, verses 1 to 8, and it all can be found in the Pew Bibles on page 1187 and the Big Print Bible 1877. Living to please God, finally, brothers, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more, for you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God. And that, is, and that in this matter no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. The Lord will punish men for all such sins, as we have already told you and warned you. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, he who rejects this instruction does not reject man, but God, who gives you his Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. Well read. So, mental health. We've done all sorts of stuff, haven't we? All sorts of topics. We've done social media. We've done addiction. We've done anxiety. Today is pornography. And so that's what I'm going to speak about. I want to ask you a question as we begin. What's your attitude to pornography? It's a good place to start, I want to suggest. When I was 15, I stayed with my best friend, Rob. I went to stay at his house, and he'd just been in Ireland. He'd just come back from Ireland, and we were sitting around his dinner table with his mum and dad, and Rob was telling us stories about his time in Ireland. And he said, you'll never guess what happened, mum. And he told his mum, he said, guess what granny did? She said, I don't know. She said... I got on the plane, she dropped me off at the airport, I got, I got onto the plane, she said, I've got a box of tre- a bag of treats for you. And I got onto the plane, I hadn't looked at it, I, I sat down and I opened up the bag and inside was a can of Coke, a Mars bar and a Playboy. And um, his grandma was about 80 and they all laughed and I remember his mum said, oh, <laughs> she's a character. Gosh, it's just a bit of harmless fun, and there was a bit of a joke about it. I want to ask you, really, what your attitude to pornography is. Secondly, why are we talking about it? You know, it's a strange subject, really, to be talking about on one level on a Sunday. Uh, I'm not squeamish. I'm not embarrassed about talking about this. The reason we're talking about this is it's probably the most significant pastoral issue in our generation. And... Studies of people in the church would say that 90% of Christian men regularly look at pornography. 40% of Christian women have looked at pornography. And in terms of being addicted to pornography in the church, 50% of Christian men are addicted to pornography. And they think 20% of Christian women are addicted to pornography. And these are are, um, credible 
studies, by the way. They're not sort of, let's sort of make this sort of stuff up. So I'm just, it's just important to talk about this. And even if they're not quite true, even if they're over-exaggerated, even, even if the numbers are lower, it's an issue uh, for us as people. What am I going to do? Uh, hopefully there's some slides will come up. And where I'm going with this, I want to start by making some general comments about pornography. Then I want to explore mental health issues, if you go on to the next one. Uh, and then I want to offer a very brief Christian perspective. And then I want to end, most importantly, uh, by offering, offering some practical help for uh, people who might be struggling with pornography. So should we start with some general comments? You'll see the general comments coming up here. It's an obvious thing to say, but pornography is absolutely everywhere. And when I was 14, if you wanted to look at pornography, I think you'd probably have to go to a news agent. You'd have to go in. You'd have to be tall enough to reach the top shelf. You'd have to be strong enough or not bothered enough to actually then go and get your magazine, take it to the man in the shop and say, great, I'll have that. And then he'd slip it in a brown paper bag and off you go. Or maybe you go to one of those sex shops, adult shops, you know, normally in the rundown areas of town, funny sort of boards that you couldn't see in. Uh, you'd have to go in there to get pornography. Obviously, uh, time has changed. You don't need your grandma to buy you a Playboy and, and slip your magazine on the way to Ireland. Actually, porn is absolutely everywhere. It's more accessible uh, than ever. And obviously, it's the technological developments that actually we have the internet. You can get porn on your phone very, very easily, wherever you want to, any time of day. You can do that anon anonymously. You can do it secretly. No one will know. It's cheap. You probably can access enough porn to last several lifetimes of ever looking at uh, for free. And uh, no one need know. So we're in a very different uh, context to when I was sort of growing up as a young boy. Why do people look at porn? Again, studies have been done. Some people look at porn for purely uh, hedonistic reasons, for pleasure. Other people look at porn trying to find intimacy. Uh, psychologists would say, actually, the drive for intimacy is stronger than the drive, a sort of lustful drive. And people sometimes try and find intimacy uh, in uh, looking at pornography. Other people actually do look at pornography to dull emotional pain. And you, know, you can do all sorts of things if you've got emotional uh, pain. You can drink, you can shop, you can gamble, you can work really, really, really hard. You can do all sorts of stuff to numb the pain. One of the things you can do is also, obviously, look at pornography. And then finally, so we've uh, looked at a number of things. The final thing would be people get addicted to the chemicals released when you look at pornography online. And so, you know, I'm not a neurologist or a neuroscientist or anything, but they say when you look at pornography, chemicals are released into your brain that aren't dissimilar to crack cocaine, the effects of crack cocaine, and actually you can just get addicted. So you might just be looking from an addictive point of view. You're not after intimacy, you're not trying to dull your emotional pain, but actually you can become very, very um, addicted to it. The other thing to say is, thirdly, pornography affects us all. 
And you might be sitting there thinking, I never look at pornography. This has got nothing to do with me. Why are you talking about this, for goodness sake? Your life is affected by pornography because we live in a highly sexualized, highly pornified culture. And uh, young people's views are being shaped. And uh, this sexualized reality is affecting all of our lives. If you're a grandparent, it will affect your grandchildren. Uh, if you're married, uh, there could be influences for your marriage around this stuff. And so it's just a massive issue, uh, pornography. And um, the final thing I want to say for general comments is the porn landscape has radically changed uh, in the last 10 years. So in my last church, we had lots of people, and uh, uh, quite a chunk of them were in their 20s and stuff. Whenever any of them said, could we have a coffee, Mike, or an associate, or other people on the team, 90% of the time, it was because they were struggling with pornography. They felt terrible. And uh, I did lots of research into the effects of pornography about 10 years ago, 15 years ago, so I've tracked stuff. But what's happened is actually that the porn landscape has radically changed. It's gone from a sort of playboy thing, naked people, naked pictures, and actually what's happened is porn has become a lot more violent than it used to be. And uh, I just want to give you some stats on this, because this is quite important to be aware of this, I want to suggest. Some of this is a little bit shocking. But actually, what's happened is mainstream porn is now characterized by sexual violence, and it's sexual violence towards women, degradation and aggression. And they've done studies, this is, this is a bit shocking, but 94% of violence in porn is directed at women, 88.2% of porn involves physical acts of aggression towards women. 75% of porn involves hitting women being hit. 54% of it, women being gagged. 37% of it, women having their hair pulled. And 49% of it, verbal abuse towards women. So this, is what's, this has been a massive shift in porn, which I want to suggest is good to know about. And that's not the most shocking thing. In 95% of cases with porn, when a woman uh, receives any of this sexual violence, how does she respond? In 95% of the cases, she responds with pleasure. So in other words, porn now has shifted, all the studies are saying, so that porn is effectively sexual violence against women. It's sexual abuse. And actually, a woman in those scenarios um, responds with pleasure. And even porn stars today are saying this is going too far. And this is going crazy. So there's some general con comments. Pornography is everywhere. Why do people look at porn? Pornography affects us all. The porn landscape has changed radically. And what I want to now do is think about mental health. Why don't we just stop and have the opportunity to digest that. Any, just with people around you, any immediate reactions to that? Maybe for a minute. Okay, so let's think now, secondly, the second thing I want to do is how porn actually, viewing porn actually affects your mental health. Now, when I got interested in the effects of pornography as a church pastor with lots of people struggling with pornography, uh, the studies were interesting about 10 or 12 years ago. There were a whole group of studies that said, for goodness sake, this is harmless fun and uh, 
people have to be uh, able to choose what they look at and the effects are negligible, right through to actually this is quite damaging. Now, all the latest studies, you have to understand, as Beck said last week, a lot of this internet, these internet issues, that we're just catching up uh, the psychological community because it's all quite new. All the studies now are saying this is really bad for your mental health. And so I just want to unpack this. The first thing I want to say is that uh, viewing pornography uh, is very damaging for women's mental health. And I want to read you a couple of quotes by psychologists. By inundating women and girls with a message that the most worthy attribute they have is their sexual hotness, and crowding out other messages, pop culture is grooming them just like an individual perpetrator would. It's slowly chipping away at their self-esteem, stripping them of a sense of themselves as whole human beings, and providing them with an identity that de-emphasizes every other human attribute. So you can understand that, that it's all about your body and how good-looking you are. And uh, that's uh, the effects here. Here's another one. This is actually quite a difficult quote, but I think it's an important quote. For most of human history, the erotic images have been reflections of or celebrations of substitutes for real naked women. For the first time in human history, the image's power and allure has supplanted that of real naked women. Today, real, today, real naked women are just bad porn. This is a female um, psychologist academic writing that. So actually, this is a real issue for women in culture today, particularly for, where, for, for younger people growing up in this environment. I'm going to explain that a little bit more in a minute. This is also really bad for men's mental health, looking at pornography, the effects of pornography. And actually, um, What has happened, all the studies show, is that men who regularly uh, look at pornography actually become increasingly isolated, uh, depressed, controlling, highly introverted, have high anxiety, narcissistic, suffer from low self-esteem, and actually uh, prevents them from being able to relate well to a normal woman. Here's a quote from uh, a childline survey, a boy aged 12. I'm always watching porn. Some of that is quite aggressive. I didn't think it was affecting me at first, but I've started to view girls a bit differently recently, and it's making me worried. I'd like to get married in the future, but I'm scared it might never happen if I carry on thinking about girls the way I do. And there's a psychologist at Stanford University who really writes about how porn is changing, has changed, the whole uh, uh, masculinity in our culture. He says this, I'm sounding an alarm, loud and clear. Masculinity, as we know, it's being destroyed by online porn, he adds, and gaming. This is not a phase, and it's not temporary. If we ignore the problem, it's going to get much worse. So the whole sense, you know, I've got three boys. This is a, a, an issue for them growing up. The oldest is 12, and it's an issue for them as they grow up in this environment. I'm also saying, uh, if you're still with me, that porn has a negative impact on young people and their lives and mental health. And I'm taking some stats from a recent NSPCC and Childline study uh, about some things that are going on. Younger and younger children are viewing pornography, and porn, believe it or not, is often their first sexual encounter. 
The latest research is saying that porn is also not just their first sexual encounter, it's their primary sexual educator. So think about that. Uh, sexual violence against women, sexual abuse is what's educating our young people uh, in uh, their uh, future view of sex and their future expectations about sex. 60% uh, of UK children watch porn to get information about sex, and boys expect porn in real life uh, with uh, real people, said a 15-year-old girl. The UK Children's Commissioner two years ago said this, we have had frequent accounts of boys and girls' expectations of sex being drawn from the pornography they had seen. And professionals told us troubling stories of the extent to which teenagers and younger children routinely access pornography, including extreme and violent images. We also found compelling evidence that too many boys believe that they have an absolute entitlement to sex at any time, any place, in any way, and with whomever they wish. Equally worryingly, we've heard too often girls feel that they have no alternative but to submit to the boys' demands regardless of their own wishes. And so what's happening is if boys are having the expectations of what they're seeing online and girls are actually are feeling they've got no ability to say no. And some of, the, some of what's happening is awful. And within young people, sexual violence is increasing. Uh, consent in sex is becoming increasingly muddled. And there are some quite horrific uh, stories of what boys are expecting women to do and how to present themselves and that sort of stuff. What do young people say? Uh, here is a slide. I won't go through all of this, but the salient points are about half of uh, 11 to 17-year-olds said porn is really affecting their relationships. 11 to 17-year-olds, half of them are saying, look, this is really affecting us. 80% uh, said porn was way too easy to access online, and nearly 70% said, said Porn puts pr too much pressure uh, on girls. So you can see um, this is a massive cultural issue. It's just absolutely phenomenal. Uh, but because it's unseen and hidden, uh, we might not be aware of some of the impacts of this. But this is shaping our lives. It's shaping young people's lives. And uh, it has devastating uh, impact on people. So let's stop there. Let's have another minute just to discuss that uh, with the people around you, the relationship between porn and mental health for women, men, and young people. Quick. So what I want to do really briefly uh, is talk about a Christian perspective on pornography and some of this stuff. And this is very brief. It's very generic. I could have spoken about all sorts of things. But I want to just identify two things. The first is that we are actually called to live holy lives. And you see that from that reading uh, we had read today. It's God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that's holy, honorable, and that in this matter no one should take uh, the advantage of a brother or sister. And so, uh, actually, we're called to lead holy lives. A holy life isn't a life that includes pornography. And, 
actually, there's a sort of exploitation theme in those verses as well, which we have to uh, avoid. I was speaking to a church leader recently, and he, we were talking about this, and, and he said, you've got to watch this documentary, Mike. And it was a documentary, that, it was a sort of credible documentary, and uh, it was basically about a guy in his early 20s going to L.A. to meet his favorite porn stars. Uh, that was the doc- documentary. And so it started, you meet the guy, and uh, he talks about his favorite porn stars. And then you go over to America with him and in L.A. He meets his favorite porn stars. He's really excited. He's really, he can't wait to meet them. And uh, he goes over there, and then he actually meets them. And he's really excited to meet them face to face, and it's all going well. And then they start telling him his, their stories and actually what it's really like to be in the porn industry, and actually how they really, really feel when uh, they're being filmed, and when it's just them with six men, and uh, all that sort of stuff. And uh, it just burst his whole bubble, and uh, you sort of see the reality of the industry. So actually, we've got to avoid exploitation. The, The word avoid in the Greek here is very strong. It means make a clean cut, bam, with pornography. Just get rid of it. Uh, be holy, Uh, do uh, a Joseph when uh, Potiphar's wife starts undressing. He literally runs the other direction, doesn't go back. She ends up just holding his cloak. So you've got to take this thing really, really seriously, I want to suggest, because half measures, sort of, I'll do this, I'll do that, doesn't work. You just go, bam, it's got to go, because it's uh, not good for you, as you've heard, and it's not good for the people involved. There's also lots of stuff in the New Testament about self-control. If you speak to people who look uh, at a lot of pornography, certainly in the church, they don't really want to. And uh, they certainly aren't happy about that. And uh, that's been my uh, experience of speaking to them. And there's a lot about self-control, 1 Peter 1.13. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled, 2 Peter 1, 5, for this reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control. I could go on. And uh, we uh, need to, I want to suggest, not just in this area of pornography, but actually go for holiness and have a perspective in all of our areas of, li- of life where we're seeking to please God. Uh, Psalm 19:14. may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and redeemer. That's a great prayer, isn't it? Just to, uh, and a great perspective uh, to have. So People who struggle with porn in the church know that they're called to live holy lives. They actually know they shouldn't be looking at porn and it's not good for them or for their families or people involved. Secondly, uh, I want to give a Christian perspective that says we're called to honor and dignify, not to objectify and demean. You know, pornography is very demeaning, actually, of everyone involved. And, uh, of course, you'll always find lots of people who say, I love it, and it does no harm, and people in the industry who say, I love it, it does no harm. But that's actually a lie. It's very, very demeaning, and it's all based on lies and deception. And uh, uh, I want to uh, just read these quotes. Here we go. In the story of porn, women are one-dimensional. They never say no. They never get pregnant. They can't wait to have sex with any man or group of men and please them in whatever way imaginable or even unimaginable. 
Whether it's softcore or hardcore, it encourages the viewer to treat women as objects to consume rather than people to be in relationship with and gives men the message that sex and pleasure are divorced from relationships. So do you see, it tells a lie porn about what women are, what they're like, how they operate. And so it's objectification, treating them as objects too. Interestingly, uh, it, this applies to men too. In the story of porn, men are soulless, unfeeling, amoral life support systems uh, for their genitals who are entitled to use women in whatever way they want. These men demonstrate zero empathy, respect, or love for the women they have sex with. Porn encourages them to be self-serving. It's all about their self-satisfaction. It's nothing about the mutually reciprocating intimacy that you're designed for. So do you understand that, that actually uh, porn objectifies men, it objectifies women, and, uh, you know, it's not something uh, we do uh, as Christians because we're called to uh, honor and dignify, not uh, objectify uh, and abuse. And uh, this is uh, important uh, just to say that quite clearly that, that porn is not good because in our culture... Uh, you won't hear that being said. I don't know whether you've watched Naked Attraction. There's a new uh, TV show, for example. And basically, it's a dating program. And apparently, what happens is um, you get a man with six women in boxes. They're naked. And he can just say what parts of the body he wants to see. And uh, so you might be feet, uh, might be genitals, might be breasts. And he compares them. He gets rid of the ones he doesn't want because their bodies aren't quite right or they don't quite look to his desires. And uh, then eventually he'll get down to one woman. He'll pick that woman. And uh, they'll then, she'll then get naked so he can have a look at her and he, he just comments on her body. Uh, and then they decide based on that whether they uh, go on a date. This is how warped the culture is. Uh, There's this famous quote, you know, people have sex today to work out whether they want to have a coffee. And this is the environment we're in. So, hopefully that has been helpful and given you some food for thought. I've certainly found it helpful just to sort of get up to speed with some of this stuff again myself. And uh, what I want to do now, this is the most important part, really, is actually if you're struggling with pornography, uh, what can you do? Because no Christian struggling with pornography, and there are lots of them, actually really want to uh, do, uh, be doing what they're doing. So um, what I want to uh, say is, first of all, uh, sorry, it's not this slide, uh, first of all, You need to know this. This is the most important thing you need to know if you're struggling with porn, and that's that God really loves you. That he delights in you. He thinks you're amazing. His love is unconditional, and he believes in you and uh, thinks you're wonderful. And actually, what's interesting is if you're going to get free, you need the truth. You need to know the truth that it's wrong, but actually you need to know grace as well. And uh, this is an important verse in all this, Titus 2, 11 and 12. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all man. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age. You know, the law doesn't really change behavior. We know that from the biblical history, that actually that's the Old Testament. 
but actually it's grace and the kindness and also the power of God that changes people. So that's the first thing, God really loves you. And uh, I say that because if you are looking at porn or struggling, you'll feel despicable, you'll feel ashamed, and that will just create a cycle in you that will perpetuate your problem. Know that God loves you, believes in you, and delights in you. First, second, know that it's not just you who are struggling with this stuff. Because what happens with all addictions, you know I've had an addictive background in other, wo- other areas, actually you think it's just you and you're isolated and uh, everyone else is fine and somehow they're all normal, but it's just you that have this problem. It's not true. Remember the stats. This is uh, widespread and actually you're not on your own. Thirdly, I'm going to unpack this. Uh, You need to develop a battle plan to stop. To do that, first, you'll need humility. This is a slide. And uh, the truth is you can't get free on your own because I know you've tried and you've failed. And uh, you can't get free on your own. Uh, You're actually powerless to do a great deal about it. And you get these verses in the Bible that affirm that, like Paul says this in Romans 7, I know nothing good lives in me. That is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what's good, but I can't carry it out. You know, we often so want to stop or do things that we don't have power to do. And uh, actually, you can't stop in and of your own strength. If if you've got an addictive personality, uh, you'll know that. And uh, actually, uh, you might feel weak, but God's power can work in your weakness. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness, Paul also writes elsewhere. So actually, uh, you need the power of God to set you free. You need truth, you need grace, you need love, and you need the power of God to set you free. That's the first thing. Secondly, you'll need honesty. Honesty with yourself, first and foremost. The greatest thing you can do is just admit what's going on in your life. I used to have an issue with alcohol. The turning point for me came 25 years ago or something when I stood in a mirror, drunk, Uh, very late one Sunday morning, and I just looked in the mirror and thought, whoa, I can't stop. I've got a problem here. And I felt really frightened, but I also felt really relieved. Relieved because I thought, great, I can do something about that. Frightened because I didn't realize that I could get free at the time. But you've got to just be honest with yourself. Um, Lamentations 3.40, let us examine our ways, test them, let us return to the Lord. There's lots of denial around addiction, isn't there? There always is. There's secrets, there's lies, whether it's spending, whether it's drug taking, whether it's porn, it's all based on lies. So you need to be honest with yourself and about what you're doing. You also uh, need uh, to know uh, that, uh, be honest with God. You need to You're not on your own. You've got God. So actually, what you can do is uh, actually confess to him what's happening. And 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful, just, will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And so you need to be honest with God. And he forgives you, by the way. And not just forgives you, he remembers your sins no more. I was out with the police the other night. Whenever you're out with the police, if you're in a situation, you can look up someone's record to see if, what's going on, whether they've been involved in something before or whether you're going into a dangerous situation, they've assaulted police officers or what have you. Uh, when you confess stuff to God, the record goes. <laughs> That's the grace right there. So you need to confess knowing God's forgiveness. 
And then also, I want to encourage you to actually confess your sins to someone else. Confess what's going on to someone else. And you don't just need uh, to be honest with yourself or with God. It's good if you can find at least one other person and tell them it's a problem. Uh, Because actually, that brings the things into the light. It's always the case with addiction. brings things into the light. And uh, that breaks a lot of the power uh, if you do that. And if someone comes to you, by the way, and says, I've got this problem, uh, just, uh, it's a real compliment. It means they trust you. means they love you enough to be very vulnerable with you. And uh, you need to act with grace. You need to be godly in your response. Because if you go, wow, you pervert, or you're disgusting, then actually you're not really helping, are you? And you're perpetuating the cycle of stuff. Good to see you. Thanks for coming. You're visiting this Sunday, aren't you? Good to see you. No, don't worry. Don't worry. Hope you had a good time. You picked a good one. (laughs) So then, um, we're nearly there. You've got to get people to pray with you. Not just confess. Get people to pray for you. And uh, this is really important. James 5, therefore, confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other so that you may be healed. Okay, so pray. There's power in prayer. It's phenomenally powerful. We often struggle with it, but it's very powerful. Ongoing accountability you'll also need. You need really regular check-ins. I would say once a week with this person who's going to walk with you, you just say, could you ask me uh, about how this is going at least once a week? Um, Ask me all the awkward questions. You know, what have you looked at online? Uh, In detail, what are you doing? And uh, then just pray for me. That's a great incentive to walk free. And uh, self-awareness. We're getting there, by the way. You need to become aware about your own sexuality, the things that trigger you, the things, therefore, that you can uh, avoid. And um, basically, um, all sorts of things can trigger people. But there's that thing, uh, halt, hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Often those things, if you're hungry, you can end up acting out. If you get really angry, you can end up acting out. Lonely is a great motivator for acting out. Or tired, you know, uh, these things can um, actually uh, trigger us. You've got to take extreme precautions. So I've spoken to lots of men on business trips who struggle looking at porn when they're away on business trips. And so I'll always say, you can, you can phone ahead, you know, to you where you're staying and ask them to get rid of the television, or, for example, if there's dodgy channels. Or you can um, set up uh, stuff on your phone, on your computer system at home, uh, and you can set it up so that if you're married, your wife knows exactly what sites you're looking at, uh, or, or your accountability partner does. And uh, that's a really good thing uh, to do. And... Uh, There's all sorts of other stuff I could say there, but there's lots of software filters that can help you in this situation. And so XXX, sorry, XXXChurch.com has a lot of these things, really good stuff. And um, the next thing you might want to think about is professional help. And, you know, you might think, I need counseling or something. I would, if you you think you do... um, I would go for it. It's actually uh, in light of the effects on your mental health. I think I would take that seriously. And if you think you need it and you've tried the accountability, you've tried prayer, it's not working, I'd have a, I'd have a consider- serious consideration of that. And also you're going to need to persevere 
because uh, my experience of getting free and sober of addiction is that you'll often take two steps forward and one step back. You're not going to, to be honest, I wish this were true. I have heard stories of this happening to people. Who, they get prayed for and boom, it's gone. And that's uh, never an issue again. Uh, that clearly can happen and it does happen. But to be honest, with a lot of the people I speak to, they need um, ongoing help and support. So uh, you've got to be gracious to yourself and take it seriously. When you fall, get up and just keep going. And you'll find over time that you will be able to get free. The greatest lie is that you'll never be free. And uh, that's Satan himself who's just lying to you. And then finally, are you ready for the finally? This has been a bit of a long ramble, but I think it's been, it's been something that's been quite important, actually. Uh, an awareness of God's grace, love, and power. You need to just walk in the love of God, in the grace of God, and in the power of God as you seek to get free of this stuff. And you can apply that to all sorts of addictions, by the way. Um, so I hope that's been helpful. I have spoken for a long time, but I think, you know, this is just to reiterate a massive issue for us. It's a massive issue for us in the church. Culturally, it's a massive issue. And uh, we need to, A, at least, even if it's not a problem for us, be informed and aware about what's going on. And uh, we mustn't shy away from speaking about these sorts of things in the church. It's important that we do. Because if we don't, there's that whole phrase, isn't there? We're, we're as sick as our secrets. And everything, it's funny, isn't it? We talk about this loving God, this gracious God, this God who accepts us and forgives us. And often as communities, we struggle, actually, to be honest about what's really going on in our own lives. And so we need to extend grace to each other and um, just be aware that this stuff's happening.